We discuss new research with Hub's John Giegengeck that shows traditional pay TV continues to lose steam, Netflix still occupies an enviable position, and inflation worries aren't troubling streaming services. Listen on to hear more. This week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon from End Screen Media is with me as always. Hi there, Colin. How is everything on your end? It's doing great, Will. Thanks. Yes, we are going to have a uh, we're going to do a short news segment this week because we've got quite a long interview coming up. So why don't you get us started? What caught your eye this week? Yeah, just real quickly, I noticed that YouTube TV has. Um, created a a new way for users to subscribe to streaming services without actually being a YouTube TV subscriber, uh, a subscriber to the YouTube TV base service, the $65 a month service that uh, I've been a subscriber to for a while. I think you are as well. And this allows YouTube TV to kind of be a hub where viewers can manage their different subscriptions. It's a little bit like what Amazon has with uh, their channels program. Apple TV is doing this. Roku, of course. I think Verizon. You know, there are a number of others. And I think it makes good sense. It certainly allows YouTube TV to be, uh, to the extent that users take advantage of this, to be able to uh, kind of be their hub for where they manage their subscriptions. And assuming your credit card is already on file with Google, which of course many of ours uh, are, then it makes it a um, pretty seamless way to subscribe. So it looks like they have access to HBO among the big plan, among the big streaming services, HBO Max, MLB, NBA League Pass, Stars, Showtime, Sundance Now, Curiosity Stream, and some others. Notable ones that are missing, of course, are Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus. So it's it's not comprehensive, but it's a starting point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, although I will say, well, I don't think that they can sell HBO Max and Showtime, etc., without a subscription. There's a, it's a subset of the services that they can actually sell without a subscription to a base plan. And I guess that's sort of, uh, you know, restrictions because of uh, licensing. But it makes total sense. I mean, it's totally, it's totally what. Uh, Verizon's doing they've got a service where they're allowing people to buy through them so it's a great way to sort of consolidate bills and I wouldn't be surprised if YouTube TV were to introduce a few fast linear channels outside of the bundle outside of the base bundle which will allow people to have uh, another reason to come in and use continue to use the client even if they're not a subscriber so yeah makes a lot of sense yeah and how about you what was on your radar well, what was on my radar was something that uh, I think probably one of the most amusing moments uh, uh, during the Apple TV launch was the that awkward moment between Tim Cook and Oprah Winfrey, where Oprah was on the stage uh, announcing that she was, you know, going to be doing all of these productions for Apple TV Plus, and there was this moment where oprah didn't want to leave the stage and tim wanted her to get off so that he could get on with with the rest of the stuff well anyway um that was an amusing moment and now oprah winfrey has decided to end her agreement with apple tv after three years i think it's been three years that's not to say that she's not going to continue to produce content for apple tv plus but certainly they're 
not willing to go forward under the terms that they were before. So I just thought that was a, a, an amusing end to an awkward moment. <laughs> it clearly had an impact on you if uh, you're um, recalling it several years later. Yeah, yeah. I just it was just one of those uh, special special moments in streaming history. But uh, anyway, I think we should probably get on with our interview. Yes. And we're pleased to welcome John Giegengack, who is the principal and founder of Hub Entertainment Research, back to the podcast. Hi, John. Welcome back. How are you? Hey, how are you? Good. Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, John. Good to have you back. Good to be here. So Hub recently released its latest version of the Decoding the Default survey, which you guys have been doing now for, I think, like, what, seven, six or seven or eight years? Uh, about eight years. Eight years, yep. And um, yeah. that's what we really want to talk about today with you is to get um, your key takeaways from the survey and any additional color that you're able to provide. So let's just start right at the top, John. Um, what What is new and different or new and unique in the 2022 edition? And maybe you could just share the top conclusions from the new survey and then we'll dig into those as we go along. Sure. So... So this study called Decoding the Default is uh, a little bit different from some of the other ones that we do. Like our other research, we capture all of the platforms that people use. Um, but then we also ask them, what's the first thing you turn on when you want to watch TV? And the, the idea being that, uh, especially with so many options these days, it's helpful to know not just one which ones are people using, but which are the ones they rely upon the most, which are the ones that are their kind of first go-to, their home base for TV. Um, and this is always one of the most interesting ones that we do, in, in my opinion. Um, and we found a few different things this year, some that we'd seen before, but some that were new. Um, you know, so one, one interesting thing that we found is that uh, we had about an all-time high in the sample this time of people who were streaming only. So people who only use uh, streaming TV platforms, essentially cord cutters or cord nevers. And that was about that was up to about twenty two percent, so almost a quarter of the sample uh, this year. But the so you know that shouldn't come as a surprise. We know that there's more people cutting the cable. There are more lots of more cord cutters. But one of the, the other things that happened is that sixty eight percent of the people in the sample said that they use some combination of of traditional pay TV, so cable or satellite or telco TV bundle combined with streaming. So even with all this, this attention being given to cord cutters, there's still almost, you know, there's roughly three times as many people uh, who use a combination of pay TV and streaming. And that means that, uh, you know, pay TV is not dead. It's, it's still, it's still, it, it, may, it may not be used as much as it was 10 years ago, but there are still some things that even uh, heavy streaming consumers still rely on traditional TV to use. Um, and I think that's a pretty important thing to keep in mind, you know, when we look at this, just the complexion, the ecosystem of where everything is heading. Uh, another really interesting thing that we found, and this was new this year, is that we track the percentage of people who are, who are using more than one of the five biggest streaming platforms. So that's uh, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, uh, Disney, and HBO Max. And... Uh, in, all, in this study, each year we track the number of people. We, we especially focus on the number of people who use three, four, or five of these. Uh, if you go back to 2018, when there was only three of these platforms, there was only 12% uh, of folks that used uh, 
three or more. When we get up to this year, it's about half of people that use three or more and almost a third of people that use either four or all five of them. Uh, that is only up a little bit since it's only up about 1% over the number of people who did that last year. And that's the first time that we've been measuring this, that there hasn't been kind of a dramatic increase. And that stacking number is really important because uh, if you think about the fact that all of those platforms have, you know, many hundreds, if not many, many thousands of titles, if the average person is using three or more of those, that's a tremendous amount of content trying to be crammed into the same amount of viewing time. Uh, and it makes the competition for every one of those viewing sessions a lot bigger. The fact that we've now seem to have plateaued, that people have kind of, at least according to this year's numbers, reached some kind of a limit and how many uh, platforms they want to stack, uh, suggests that they are at the limit uh, possibly of how many platforms they want to pay for. But even more likely, I think, just how many platforms they can actually use uh, because there's still only 24 hours in the day and no one wants to use platforms if they're not going to, even if they're not expensive, uh, if you're just not using it enough, don't have time to use it, you're not going to hang on to it. One of the other ones that we found uh, this time around is that at least when it comes to time shared, uh, usage of traditional pay TV and streaming are moving in opposite directions. So we, we show people a list of all the different providers they say they have. And then we ask them to just use percentages to allocate their total TV time across those and, and tell us how much they spend on each one. Um, survey research is not, a, is not a really great way to accurately measure time spent. People are pretty terrible uh, at estimating accurately how much time they spend doing almost anything. But because we ask the question the same way every year, we can look at the changes from year to year and we know that those are apples to apples. And over time, the amount of time that people estimate they spend on pay TV continues to drop the amount of their total TV time that uh, they spend on streaming continues to uh, rise. And that doesn't mean that people are all cutting their cable, but that does mean that they're using those packages less. Um, on that default question I mentioned about which uh, platform is your, is your home base for television. Uh, this is really one of the most interesting things that we found in the study. So when we, we first started this back in 2016, 48% of people said that, uh, live TV from a cable or satellite or telco provider was their default. And 15% of people said that uh, that Netflix was their default source. And about 5% said that some other major streamer was their default source. Fast forward to today in 2022, uh, the live from MVPD is all the way down to 28%. So almost cut in half. Netflix is up to 23%, and those other four of the big five streaming platforms are up to 16%. So there's a lot more. Uh, the, the live TV is still the single most common default source. It's bigger than anything else. But Netflix is, is almost caught up. And between Netflix and the other four of the five biggest streaming platforms, there are significantly more people who say that that is their default source than, say, live TV. So it's really kind of a a changing of the guard as far as where the center of gravity for, for TV viewing is happening. And then the last thing uh, that we looked at this year is, is the impact of inflation or of a perceived recession on uh, people's choices about TV platforms. And at least in this study, there's ammunition for those folks who think that uh, the TV industry is, is better insulated than most against, uh, against a recession. We asked people uh, what level of concern they have about rising inflation. 
And then we also asked people about each service they had. We said, how likely is it that you're going to still have this service in a year from now? And uh, if we look at the number of people who say that they will definitely still have that service one year from now, uh, people who are very concerned about the rising or about rising inflation are actually more likely to say they will have almost every service uh, than people who say they're they're not concerned. Uh, the couple exceptions were Hulu, where there was there was a tie between those two groups. Um, a little more than half of everybody that has Hulu says they're still going to have it in a year, whether or not they're concerned about inflation. And Amazon, uh, people who said they were not very concerned were actually more likely to say they would still be using Amazon in a year than those who uh, are not. You know, that's, that's potentially because there's so much other stuff you buy through Amazon and because it's a, a big, relatively big charge you have once a year. Um, but besides that, there's a lot of reason to think that uh, your average TV viewer is going to cut down on things outside the home first. And then when they do get home uh, and need something to fill up that time that they're not using going out, that that streaming platforms and TV in general gives you a really big bang uh, for your buck in terms of killing time. Boy, that's that's a lot of, that's a lot of data. Let's, let's look, <laughs> look back on Netflix for a minute, John. So a lot of negativity around Netflix uh, just recently. and uh, but But your data actually suggests that even though they've seen a small pullback in subscribers, that they're still they're still doing uh, holding a pretty solid position as the default for many people, right? Yeah, I think if you if you launched all these platforms today and we were looking at Netflix for the first time uh, without you know knowing what we know about the stock price over the last year, for instance, you would you would think that Netflix was just knocking it out of the park. Um, and and I it, it's true that they've lost a couple million subscribers the last time around. And it's absolutely true that that they are not going to be able to sort of just just stack up quarter upon quarter of growth the way that we've become used to. Um, but I think that's something that, you know, anybody that has been paying attention has has seen that coming. Uh, there's only so many, at least in the U.S., there's there's a there's a ceiling. There's there's a limit to how many people you can sell streaming TV to. Uh, they have a lot more competition than they had in the past. A lot of the desirable content that they were getting from TV networks they don't have access to anymore. And a lot of the other providers are spending, uh, you know, in, at least in the same zip code uh, yeah. as they are on their own brand new exclusive shows that can only be watched in one place. And they're having uh, their own share of successes and big hits, just as Netflix has had. So I think what you're seeing, at least with Netflix's subscriber numbers, it's something that can be predicted. Um, but when we look at... Uh, when you ask people of of all the different providers that you have, if you have, if you had to cut one of them, which one would you cut? Uh, Netflix is is relatively unlikely to be chosen. And then when we say if you had to cut all of them except for one, which one would you keep? Uh, Netflix is in the top one or two for uh, the last one that would that would be thrown over the side. So how does Prime how does Prime Video uh, survive in that? Because it's it's an odd one, right? Because people really don't pay for it directly; it's paid as part of Prime membership. Yeah, it's that one is is uh, I don't have the number for that one right in front of me, but it's it's kind of middle of the road, and I think that one has uh, in a somewhat of an advantage in that in that you know people use Amazon for all kinds of things, but they don't really yeah. think about that as like a TV expense. And actually, one of the yeah. one of the the uh, things that's elegant about the way they do business uh, is that where people have to, you know, see a, a number on their credit card every month for Netflix or Amazon, uh, there's just one big charge 
once a year and you kind of forget everything that's in there because there's so much else that's lumped in there that the, (laughs) that the, you know, the TV, I mean, it is, it is for all intents and purposes, it's free along with music and along with photo sharing, if you want that and prime gaming, if you want that and, and expedited shipping on your, your shoes and your peanut butter and your, and your paper towels. Uh, so I think people look at that a bit apples to oranges with the other providers. Although, although we have seen more people lately who's, who are, who signed up for prime Amazon prime for the first time. And they did that because they wanted to watch one of the exclusive shows that was on Amazon, like the terminal list or Lord of the Rings or something like that. So John, let's, um, I'd like us to continue down the path a little more of, um, you know, what you raised before about the growth and penetration of SVOD uh, services having um, topped out and that there's only 24 hours in a day. So, excuse me, you, you've you talked about separately the impact or the, the need to look at engagement, time spent viewing as a critical metric for the success of SVOD services. Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about that and also, again, how you link that to the economy and to people. Uh, survey respondents feelings about the recession, inflation, et cetera. Sure. So, uh, you know, I I think so far, you know, Wall Street being what it is and and streaming companies historically being looked at the same way that people look at technology companies, which is where just acquiring users is the most important thing, more important even than profits while a company is new. Um, But one thing that's lost in that is, is that, you know, all of these streaming platforms, almost all of them don't require any sort of a contract. So people can jump in and jump out uh, anytime that they would like. So when you see, when we have seen until recently, those numbers kind of keep climbing every quarter. Uh, the What you can see makes it seem like there are just new users being uh, inserted each quarter for that steady growth. But in reality, there's a tremendous amount of churn uh, that's happening under the surface. And there are people leaving just as new people are coming in. Uh, and until recently, just the the hole in the bucket was smaller than the amount of water being poured into the top. Now that we've reached this uh, this point where, you know, the average person is using something like seven different sources of TV and, you know, as many as, as four maybe uh, paid streaming platforms, uh, the the hole in the bucket has become bigger uh, or at least the same size as the water that's getting poured in to the top and that water is kind of being distributed more widely because you know netflix used to be the only streaming platform that had really high profile originals now they all do uh and and a lot of them are are really really good and and they're all exclusive so you can't get them without having that one particular platform so people are even getting diffused a little more the the motivation to slip out that hole in the bucket and go back to somewhere else and maybe maybe not go back to netflix until the next season of stranger things comes out that 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 motivation is a lot higher than it's been uh before so i think that that's going to be something that that netflix is kind of bumping up against that that ceiling first because they're the biggest they have the highest penetration they've been around the longest but that uh i think we're going to see that you know, if, if it's not already mitigating churn, preventing people from leaving is going to become the most important challenges that these companies face. And it's going to be more important even than acquiring uh, uh, new users. And they, I think, are going to spend a lot of their time, a lot of energy thinking about, you know, what do we do to differentiate ourselves? What do we do to keep people uh, from quitting or ideally from paying that that fee at the end of every month? 
you know, one obvious way to do that is, uh, is having the best shows and exclusive shows, but that's, that's obviously the same game that everybody's playing. And if that was easy, you know, everyone would do that and it's really expensive. So I think they're going to be looking too at what are other things that we can do to create a unique experience, uh, to create a really easy experience to have things for every occasion, but something that is going to make people rely on us uh, more than some of the other platforms. And so when they have to throw one over the side, it's going to be somebody else and it's not going to be us. And in our data, uh, that question about which source is your default source, the, the thing you turn on first, when you want to watch, uh, that is a, that's associated with much, much, much higher levels of of loyalty than the non-default sources, De depending on which ones you look at. Uh, someone, you know, for example, someone who says that HBO Max is their default source, 63% uh, of those people said that if they had to drop all their TV providers except for one, the one they would keep is HBO Max. If you look at HBO Max users who say it's not their default, that same question, it's only 8%. It's, it's literally eight times higher if it's that if, if it's that's your default source. And I think that, you know, on, on the face of it, that makes perfect sense. If it's the first thing you turn on, of course, you'd be more likely to keep it. But I think the, the magnitude of the difference between being that default and not being that default and using exactly the same platform with the same content is, is really striking to me. I, I was just going to ask you one quick follow up on this. You know, what can they do to try to reduce churn? Um, that you didn't mention, but that seems to be the emerging trend is bundling, bundling yeah. different services together. Absolutely. Uh, we've certainly seen Disney do that. We're seeing uh, Paramount now looking to do that with Showtime, Discovery do it with HBO Max. It seems like that's going to be table stakes also to try to insulate any one service from churn. Yeah, but bundling is a huge thing. And and even bundling that goes beyond just video. So one of the, you know, we did, uh, this wasn't in this study, but in another study that we did, uh, we compared people uh, that have Amazon and we looked at people that only use Amazon Prime Video and then we compared them with people who use Amazon Prime Video and either Amazon Music or Prime Gaming and then we compared those people to the ones who use Prime Video and Prime Gaming and Amazon Music and the retention, the percent of people who said that they were going to keep their Amazon Prime subscription was much, much higher uh, the, the more of those services you use. And, and we find the same thing with, uh, with pay TV operators, interestingly. So if you are a uh, cable customer and you have integrated uh, one or more streaming platforms with your set-top box so that you can look at you know your Netflix shows mixed in with all of your other on-demand, uh, people who have done that are, are significantly more satisfied with their cable company, not with, not with Netflix, with their cable company, and they're significantly less likely, they say, to cut the cord um, in the next year. And and that's, you know, that's really kind of an amazing thing because Netflix is the, is the same as everybody else watches on Netflix. The content that's available on the cable company is the same. The price is the same. And all they've done is take this complicated ecosystem and make it easier to use. And just that one thing has a massive impact on people's satisfaction and their likelihood to stay. So I you know, I agree completely that the bundling is going to be a big thing and bundling beyond TV, I think will be really big. If you look at, you know, Microsoft buying Activision, I'm sure that that's sort of the kind of thing they have in the back of their mind. Anything you can do these days to reduce the point of the points of contact that a person has, the number of relationships they have to manage, the number of logins they have to think about makes a really big difference. Makes you really wonder about the strategy that Discovery, uh, WB Discovery is going down, where they're planning on slamming HBO Max and Discovery Plus. 
together in a single service, I guess with a single price. The bundling is a, seems to be a strong strategy, but is that a strong strategy? I'm not the most expert curator of content and my own, my own TV viewing is in a couple of very narrow genres. Uh, but I, I do, I do think that they run the risk of kind of creating something that is, is rich in volume, but, but doesn't have a clear identity. It's sort of like a morass of things and it's, and you're not exactly sure what am I going to find here? And you're not exactly sure what are all the things I'm not going to find here. You know, I, I think, we know from our research that that people who have the Disney Plus bundle are a lot more engaged. It's a lot stickier than people who just have one of those platforms on their own. Um, but I think yeah. I think even just Disney Plus itself is a pretty neat exercise in bundling. If you look at the way it's structured with Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic, uh, they had it built around really distinctive brands that people recognized. And those brands are sort of uh, mutually exclusive. They they each kind of fulfill a different need, and there's not a lot of overlap between them. And the way the interface works is it's it's pretty intuitively built around those five brands, and it's and it's not built around genres. It's not built around TV networks, even though Disney owns lots of those. Um, it's built around these these pillars, each one of which has its own personality, each one of which is valued by consumers, and I think it. It it both makes people feel like they're getting more for their money, and it's it's intuitive to use. It's it's set up in a way where you don't feel like you're being smothered with with more content that you can possibly consume. You know, TV has really quickly become one of those areas where where more is not automatically better, and in fact, in a lot of cases, it can be worse because it, it means I, if it means you have to sift through more of the stuff you're not interested in before you find the thing you really like, it can be it can it can slow things down for people. Yeah, it gets in the way, doesn't it? A uh, quick question about if you're a niche service, you're never going to be the default. It's just not going to happen. How should niche services be thinking about this? I'm thinking about service like Curiosity Stream, which I have, which I would never say is my default, which I but I probably would never get rid of it. Yeah, well, I think I think you raise you raise an awesome point, um, and the reason I think you would never get rid of that isn't because you use it all the time, but it's because if you did get rid of it, you wouldn't be able to find an analog. You wouldn't be able to find something that replaces it. So in our research, again, not this, not this particular study, but another one that we just finished, uh, the, uh, where we looked at not just TV, but we looked at music subscriptions and gaming, uh, podcasts, audio, you know, audiobooks. the, the two most sticky subscriptions, the ones that, uh, people, the greatest number of users said it was one that they had to have. They would cut other ones first. Uh, number one was Spotify and number two was Crunchyroll. And and in our sample, we did not have a lot of Crunchyroll users, as you can imagine, but the ones that we had were like, yeah, like that's, I'm not going to get rid of that. And I think Crunchyroll is maybe one of my favorite examples because it is, they know exactly who they're, who they're building that for. And, you know, whereas other companies sort of think about anime and anime is just like one, you know, little line item in a whole list of genres, like these guys know anime inside and out And people that know anime know that there's, you know, there's countless genres, subgenres within anime. And, uh, and there's a small, relatively small number of people that care about that, you know, in the, in the overall population, but the people that care about that really care about it. So I think there's kind of two paths to success these days one is to build something that's kind of a big tent where there's something in there for everyone 
and you're going to you're going to appeal to people at scale and and the caveat being that you have to structure it in a way that that people don't drown in the, all the stuff that's not relevant to them um but the other way to go is to be something that's built for a very very specific audience and and satisfy the needs of those people better than anybody else does better than anybody else could and uh i think you're i actually don't remember how many people we had that said crunchyroll was their default it i'm sure it was a very very small number against all the respondents but i bet if you looked at crunchyroll users it might be surprisingly high yeah because there's there's nothing uh it pays to be something unique that they can't easily replace if they go out there and and try to replace it John, let me ask you uh, my last question, then I'll turn it over to Colin, and so he can ask you his last question. But um, I also uh, just wanted to um, ask about home base from a device perspective. And you touched on this earlier, but um, just looking at the data, it looks like the set-top box still remains the um, has the greatest percentage, and that. Um, but it looks like smart TVs have essentially overtaken dongles at this point. They, they have and this this is another one of the things that's really striking from the study so just as we asked people about their default platform of watching tv we also said what's your default device so the first the first thing with a screen you turn on when you want to watch and and the first thing is that far and away tv sets are uh the the primary place that people watch even when they're watching on streaming you know that, that's been the case for a while but this study really you know, kind of puts to bed the idea that there are really significant occasions where someone could have a TV or their phone and they choose to watch a premium TV show on their phone. It just mostly doesn't happen. But then within TV sets, we looked at a TV set and you're watching content through your set-top box, a TV set, and you're watching that through an external box or a dongle, uh, and then TV set uh, that you're watching through a smart app that's built into the smart TV. So you're using one of the native apps to watch it and not an app that's on some external device. And uh, if we go back to 2020, 47% uh, of people said that their default device was a TV set watching through a cable or satellite set-top box. 17% uh, of people said that their default was watching on a TV set through a connected device, so a box or a dongle. And then only 10% of people said that their default mode of watching was through an app on, emb embedded in a smart TV. And just two years later, 2022, the number of people who say that their set-top box is their default device is all the way down to 36%. The number of people who say that they use a box or a dongle uh, is, is flat. It's at 18%. And the number of people who say they use an app built into a smart TV is nearly tripled. It's all the way up to 27% this year. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's a massive, massive difference. And, uh, and I, I think people maybe overlook how big of a deal that is, because as soon as you start using the apps within the operating system of the TV, there's a whole bunch of other ways that you might discover shows or platforms that are immediately uh, disintermediated. They're just not part of the chain anymore. And the more that people buy smart TVs, there's, there's more ownership of those TVs. In our smart TV uh, study, we found that the percentage of smart TV owners who actually use the smart part, as opposed to plugging some peripheral in them, is higher than it's ever been before. And now every, every time somebody goes out and buys a new TV, because it's so convenient to buy another Roku TV, for instance, you turn it on, log in, it populates all of your other apps. There's a, there's a network effect there that I think will, will give smart TVs and smart TV operating systems much more influence over the platforms that people discover, the shows that they wind up watching, and the and the ever-increasing amount of content that 
even if it's great, kind of goes undiscovered because it's not surfaced to the right person at the right time. All right, so I, my last question. Actually, this is a question for both you and Will. <laughs> what is your default source for TV? I'll, I'll go first. Mine, mine lately has been uh, has been HBO Max. I, I really like that one because obviously like Game of Thrones and the big shows that come out, um, but I watch a lot of movies and I find that they have good movies and they also uh, refresh their list of movies in a way that feels more more frequent to me than some of the other platforms well coincidentally hbo max also but that's primarily because i've been binge watching arliss um uh, which is a really, <laughs> really funny show that i completely missed great the boat show. on when it came out way back when and uh it's it's a lot of fun and it's it's very snackable the episodes got go by quickly yeah. and you colin you have the last word well, it's kind of tough for me uh, because I've actually spread. I've got shows across Netflix, um, Hulu, and Prime Video that I'm currently in the middle of. So I'm sort of all over those. But I got to tell you, BritBox is pretty high up there. I go into BritBox two or three times a week. There's usually something in there that I'll that I'll watch. Um, so I really like that. And and I have to say, YouTube. I use YouTube yeah. a lot. Yeah. And if I were to say what's my default app, it's actually the TV platform. So I use Google TV a lot on my Google TV set. And um, I also use it on my TiVo 4K stream. So really, that's if I have to pick an app, it's actually the TV oper- operating system that helps me on my journey first. That, that's really interesting too, because you you know a lot about TV and about all these platforms, and if you know if you're if you're even defaulting to kind of the system embedded in the TV set, imagine yeah. you know imagine what regular people are doing that yeah. that don't have the time or the expertise to really know how all these things work. I think that's going to become a really important just path of least resistance for many 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 viewers. Yeah. Yeah, I got to agree. But uh, you know, John, we could we could talk for a lot longer. We've all been talking for probably too long. Uh, so I want to thank you for joining. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. It's been great, John. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, take care. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News. All rights reserved.